Hi, everyone. This is Untie Knots, Stories to Inspire. I'm Rustin Hamilton. Man, we are so glad that you're listening today to our podcast, and I am here with my friend and chief storyteller, Bronwyn Weaver. Hi, Bronwyn. Hi, Rustin. So, today's story, as the, uh, if, if this happens to be the first time you're listening to us, we, we like to tell stories, all right? And so, we dig into our lives a little bit and find things that are kind of either interesting, fun, inspiring, whatever. Hopefully, everything is a little inspiring, thus our name. But um, but today's story is, uh, I think, is a little more unusual, and I think it's pretty cool. And uh, I'm just going to let you tell it, all right? And you can, if you want to set it up, set it up any way you want to. Absolutely. Thanks, Rustin. I want to tell, as Rustin said, this podcast is really about us telling stories from different chapters in our lives. And um, one chapter that uh, I will be drawing a lot of stories from is the chapter in my life where I was, uh, along with my husband, we were running an organic farming business outside of Chicago. Now, what many people don't know about that chapter is that um, I was... Well, there's no other way to say it. I was featured in Playboy magazine during that chapter. So it may not be the image that comes to mind. In fact, the better you know me, the more ridiculous the whole thing sounds. So let, let me start at the beginning. I was raised by parents. Both were born in uh, 1921. I was. I grew up in a household where I never heard my father swear, and uh, we didn't talk about things that would be considered impolite. So the thought of Playboy magazine, and it was pretty far removed from my day to day existence growing up. And and in fact, it, when that did maybe come across my radar, it was going into a seedy gas station and seeing the rack at the back of the gas station with the magazines on it that had the brown paper wrapping covering up most of the publications so that all you saw was the title kind of peeking out over the brown paper wrapper. And, you know, as I grew older, far from being really judgmental about it, it just really, all of that would fall off my radar. It just never became uh, anything that I thought was worth my attention. You know, I just never really thought about it too much. And uh, fast forward uh, in my life, I I, as it, I grew up with a, these, these parents that had grown up in the Depression and was raised on a farm, knew how to grow vegetables, um, knew how to raise honeybees. And so later on in my life, when Bob and I ended up buying a small farm outside of Chicago... I dug into having a garden and uh, exploring sustainable, uh, small, vegetable-focused farming and started raising honeybees. And that was just uh, perfect timing, really. We, we could not have calculated it. We just stumbled into the beginning of the farm-to-table movement. We were so close to downtown Chicago, we ended up being the closest certified organic farming business to downtown. And we, because we had embraced a 
scheme of movable greenhouses. We were growing vegetables all four seasons, but it got the attention of some of the foodie community and the the really amazing fresh uh, chef community that was in the the city. And so pretty soon we were taking our vegetables and our honey to the Green City Market, which is kind of the premier organic farming market in Lincoln Park. And we were selling our honey into Whole Foods. And we were really starting to make a name for ourselves. But after 2008, 2009, when the market crashed and things like organic vegetables were really seen as a luxury, our little hobby-turned-business was holding on by its fingernails. And I can remember very vividly going to this, um, it was kind of a trade show for the foodie community, um, really uh, focusing on chefs in the city. And all of us that were doing farming and we're doing this kind of sustainable growing, we all had little 10 by 10 tables uh, set up trying to get people to sign up for what we had to offer when the season began. So imagine it's snowing outside, it's February, it's gray, you're in the middle of the city on a Saturday morning talking about um, springtime and what you're growing, and I was introducing a concept that had started to get pretty good traction with the chef's that we had uh, done business with. And it was a program where the chefs could sponsor a hive or two for the season. We would paint up their hives. We would put their logo all over it. They could come out and help us tend to the bees. Uh, at the end of the season, they would get all the honey from their hives and be able to put it on their menu. And it would be this authentic way of them helping the honeybees getting great honey for their menu, and actually being a little bit a part of the process. And it was really well received. And so I got my spiel down pretty good. And when a chef came to the table, I launched right into this. Um, at the time, I was running about 200 hives. So it was a, a way of helping our farming business be sustainable. As I said, we were looking for it any way we could to bring in the revenue we needed to keep our enterprise going. So this, this really handsome guy with a little boy sitting on his shoulders came up to my table, and I thought he was a chef, and I launched into my spiel. And I told him all about how important it was to, uh, to sponsor the honeybees, to be caring about their role in pollinating all of the wonderful vegetables. Our, our whole food system really is dependent on this little honeybee. And they are so fragile, especially in around urban areas and in suburbia where golf courses and just all of our day-to-day -day include a lot of chemicals that really attack the, the fragile system that supports honeybees. And he seemed to be pretty receptive to the whole idea. And so when I finished my, my whole speech, I said, so can I sign you up for two hives? He said, well, actually, I'm not a chef. 
I said, well, well, what do you do? And he said, well, I'm actually the executive publisher of Playboy magazine. <laughs> and I don't know. I guess I just was in a sullen mode. And I said, well, each hive has about 60,000 naked females working their asses off making honey. I think it's actually pretty perfect for Playboy magazine. And in fact, you could bottle up the honey, give it to your advertisers, and really be seen as a good guy in your whole community. I think it's perfect. And um, later I thought of how I could have also gone into the fact that the male honeybees in a hive are called drones, and they don't even have stingers and can't feed themselves. Um, they have a whole existence around waiting for a virgin queen to fly by. But <laughs> anyway, I didn't even need to go there. He responded really well to my spiel and said, great, I'll call you Monday. Well, he left, and I really never imagined that I'd get a phone call from his uh, executive assistant, but she really did call me on Monday and signed up for two hives, and they enjoyed the hives as much as any of the chefs did that had sponsored hives on our farm. Um, even more than that, they decided to do an article, and so in July 2010, um, our farm and yours truly were featured in the magazine. It was only my name and my words, though, that were printed. The, uh, the model, who I think was this beautiful Russian woman, was the uh, spread uh, for July, and she was covered with honey and was really not something that I would show anybody. But I did have an article about the importance of honeybees in Playboy magazine. So it was, um, it was really one of those stories from our life on our farm that uh, you need to, well, it's a story that I bring out at the right time. I don't necessarily tell everybody, although I guess now I just have. <laughs> so anyway. Well, you know, we could go back and, and talk about the importance of bees and beekeeping, but let's go to the Playboy issue right now. <laughs> <laughs> because we all know, Bronwyn, that it's not about the photography. It's really about the articles. Oh and that's why all men who have a subscription uh, get Playboy. Isn't that um, funny? I've just validated that for everybody listening. Well, you kind of right? did, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, that's right, which it's always been a joke, maybe up until now, but... <laughs> Well, you showed me the article, like just uh, just the article. Actually, well done. Looks nice. It has your it has the bottle of the of the honey that you know that comes from your farm, and what bronze bees, mm -hmm. right? That's what it's it called, says on it. Are we branded our honey bronze bee company? Yeah, and so that looked really good. I mean, well well branded, looked nice. And well, so they forth. called their they put on their label, uh, bunny honey. Yeah. And put bunny ears on the logo. <laughs> so it really was, it was such a, such a funny thing. And I guess, you know, at the time I thought it was, uh, I thought it was great. It was good PR. Um, it was a time when we were really glad to get publicity and to get attention for our farming business because we, we needed all of it. 
Um, thank goodness yeah. we survived 2010 and started to thrive in 2011. And uh, it was, and it still continues to this day, it is a great place to go for uh, local food and events and um, and certainly honey. But um, it was that I, I can remember during that season, we hosted our church picnic and I had just been in the article and uh, we had just found out that it actually had gotten published in the July issue. And I just thought it was so remarkable and so funny. And I had kind of like forgotten the context that it was Playboy magazine. And, yeah. you know, this is the Playboy magazine of old that was the real hide it in your garage kind of Playboy magazine. I think now it's a whole different kind of a publication. But anyway, I had really detached myself from the reality of the magazine. And I can remember sitting down with kind of a new friend of mine at church. And I really respected her so much. She was a professor at uh, Wheaton College and just a really amazing, wonderful woman. And so I was I was kind of bragging to her about this whole story and about how our honey and, and that I had gotten into Playboy magazine. And as I was sort of mid-sentence, I looked at her, and she was looking at me kind of in horror <laughs> that I was in Playboy magazine. And uh, it kind of struck me that, you know, gosh, it is kind of funny. Uh, Playboy magazine is is. Is never a place where I thought I would be. And certainly, thanks be to God, my parents um, never knew about that (laughs) that whole episode. (laughs) Well, (laughs) the honey was also used in a photo of the centerfold of that issue, right? So, you know, that's, there's that. Yeah, there's like, you know, truly, it's just one of those things that you can't make up some of the stories. And I think, you know, um, that's one thing that I love to share looking back on my life and the different chapters I've had. I've had amazing opportunities and certainly opportunities that I never really would have gone looking for, but that kind of came looking for me. And uh, I, I really appreciate those stories, maybe the most looking back on it. Yeah, but you sold it. You know, to me, the whole thing about uh, hives are full of uh, naked bees um, <laughs> working their asses off. I mean, totally. come on, that had to, that could, that would sell anybody, you know, especially the executive publisher of Playboy. But so, so what can we learn? What can we learn from this story today, Bronwyn? Well, that sometimes... You have to put yourself out there and see what comes back at you. Because as I said, I never would have gone looking for it, but it came looking for me. And it turned out to be, uh, well, it was one more way to put the word out about how important it was to pay attention to honeybees. And I am really passionate about uh, how we grow how we grow our food and where it comes from and the importance of supporting um uh, our our local food system and how critical uh, bees are um, how what a critical role bees play in our local food system and at that time um, because I'm now I have bees on our farm but I'm really only um, cultivating those bees for 
our own honey. It's not a, it's not a business enterprise. Yeah. Um, but at the time in 2010, the average honeybee hive in the United States traveled 4,000 miles. Now that was that's an that's an average, so it is a little bit of an obscure piece of data. The point was that most beekeeping didn't come from backyard beekeepers or beekeepers who kept bees in one place and only kept bees to uh, provide honey and sell honey. Okay, so most of the bees in the United States are run by professional beekeepers who cart them around to crops that need to be pollinated. And that means the bees begin the season in early February in um, California, for the most part. Uh, The very first crop that gets pollinated are the almond orchards. And we don't have enough bees in the United States to pollinate all of the almond orchards. They have to bring them in from all over the world trying to um, get the population to the point that it really will be an effective uh, pollination scheme. And then those bees start traveling down the coast of California. They go to Michigan to pollinate the blueberries or Louisiana to pollinate the berries. Um, They go to the northeastern part of the United States. They might overwinter in Florida. And the bees, because they are only eating one thing at a time, they're pollinating. So when they go into an orchard, they're just spending a whole week only consuming nectar from one variety of food, it's like their immune systems are like our own immune systems. And if we don't have a varied diet, if all we're doing is traveling and being under stress that comes from traveling, we are going to break down our ability to fight off mites. Well, the bees are <laughs> to, to fight off mites, to fight off disease. It, it creates a real vulnerability in that hive of honeybees. And in 2010, we were starting to have this general awareness that colony collapse really was the effect of just deteriorating the immune systems of, of all these hives. And um, at any rate, I could go on and on about honeybees. They play such an important role role and they are a bit like the canary in the coal mine for um, a lot of other things that um, signify an unhealthy food system. So, so how, how are they now compared to, you know, I was reading that article, the Playboy article, it was talking about 2007 was a rough period. Yeah. It was yeah. talking about how 2010, when that came out, it had improved substantially at that point. That's what that that's what it said anyway. So how, where are we now in terms of bee population? I mean, I, you said we were still lacking on the West Coast and, and so forth, but just overall, worldwide, I guess, or at least in the country, it is how a, are we? It's a really it's it's a big issue all over the world, and in many places in Asia, they are looking at other methods to pollinate crops. Um, in fact. My work had taken me to Malaysia at the end of 2019, and they were, I was reading an article in flight um, about robotic, uh, a, kind of a robotic bee-like thing that was a way for them to use technology to pollinate um, some very specific certain crops. So 
the honeybee crisis is not headline news anymore, but it is still in many parts of the world kind of a, at a crisis level. In the United States, backyard beekeepers are helping save the day. They are the, There really was a resurgence in the last 10 or 12 years of people um, having bees as a hobby. Uh, it, they play, it plays a very important role in just keeping a local population of honeybees in one place. Um, but I think that uh, COVID also brought attention to the fact that we need to look at our food system in a little bit of a different way. We can't be dependent on food from outside of our continent. We really need to be nurturing farmers markets and uh, local food production and eating seasonally when we can. You know, there's just a, there are a whole bunch of things that intersect. And honeybees, because they're pollinating all of this, all of the fruit and vegetables, they're kind of really at the heart of it. So it's, I wouldn't say that the crisis is over, but the crisis is maybe different. And um, we are looking at how to make agriculture a little bit more sustainable in, um, in a lot of different ways, depending on where you are in the country. So maybe the inspiring part of this story are the bees themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. All right. Good stuff. Thanks for sharing that. Well, it is um, <laughs> it is an unusual story about how to spread the word. Uh, well, yeah. It's an- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to wind it, wind it up, wind it down. And um, yeah, thank you for listening again and keep uh, checking us out for more stories. Have a great day. Take care.